The Truth News Network. In a time when narrative supersedes truth, when facts are the enemy, in a time where even Orwell would look at things and shake his head in disbelief, in a time when it takes backbone to stand up to the slings and arrows of outrageous deception, thank all that's holy, you have a voice. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to a brand new week. Welcome back to TNN Live. Hey, listen, I hope you had a wonderful Father's Day. All you dads out there, I just hope you were able to be with your kids. And if they weren't physically there, that they reached out to you to tell you just how important you are in their lives. As many of you know, we have three children and six grandchildren, all of them, pretty much everybody lives right here close to us. Our son and daughter-in-law live in Fort Worth, so they're a couple hours away, two and a half hours away. But everybody else lives right here. Well, they kind of stayed away from Poppy all weekend. (laughs) And here's the reason why. For those of you that were here on Friday, had to cut the second hour of the show, not quite all of it, but just about all of it, because I was having real difficulties in, you know, one of those important things like breathing and talking. (laughs) It's good to do both, especially when you uh, need to live, but beyond that, do a show. Without a voice, it's tough to do a show. And I want to apologize. That happens very rarely on this show. Very rarely do we miss a day. And um, there's a lot of reasons for it. But this one had to do with two little things, one called strep throat and the other called bronchitis. Both of them diagnosed by my doc right after the show ended Friday. Anyway, I'm fine. I'm great, and I appreciate your tolerance. I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful weekend And besides Father's Day, we celebrated Juneteenth. And I believe today is the official holiday for Juneteenth. Let me ask you this. Do you even know what it's about? Most people don't realize the significance of the date, but it's kind of a weird holiday in that it was the date of the notification of the African-American community in Corpus Christi, Texas, that the Civil War was over, And slavery was abolished, but they didn't get that notification until two years after it happened. That was way before we had television, before we had radio, before we had internet, and everything was passed out by people, mouth to mouth. Anyway, it's a great celebration. It's a great time because i got to be honest with you. The number one scourge in humanity is slavery not just in the United States, but anywhere and everywhere it happens on earth. And I'm, I'm sure you may be slightly oblivious to this, but slavery is still in operation around the globe. We didn't eradicate it when we had fought and uh, put our stuff at bay regarding slavery here in the United States of America. It's still out there. And uh, the United States, regardless of what a lot of race baiters want people to believe, the United States did not invent slavery. It didn't just show up after a bunch of white guys moved to the new world and decided they wanted to own some people of color. No, 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 no. It came with them. It came from North Africa. It came from Southeast Asia. It came from the Middle East, where still today in all of those areas, Slavery 
is abundance. And by the way, slavery never was and isn't about skin color. It's not at all. There are people to this day that are of African-American descent that own hundreds of slaves. It is a depravity of human nature. And human nature encompasses anybody and everybody of any ethnicity, any skin color. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with one, taking ownership of another person, which is an abysmal deception of humanity, probably the very worst. All I can say about this is I am glad that 300,000 white guys fought in the Civil War to free the African Americans. It was not a Democrat versus Republican thing. But of course, politicians and political hacks have made it so. Somebody stepped up over the weekend and addressed us, an African-American guy, former state representative Vernon Jones. You've seen him for, I guess, a couple of years now. He's a conservative Democrat turned Republican, and he is uh, he's formerly a state rep in Georgia. Now he's running for Congress. And he called out Democrats over the weekend for their historical support of slavery while he recognized the role of Republicans who sacrificed their lives to end slavery. So he posted this on his Twitter page on Saturday. He called on voters everywhere to go out, vote, and take back the country. Now he's talking about his congressional runoff this week before he highlighted the role of Democrats and Republicans in the history of slavery here. He said this, I had to pause for the cause because right now as we are about to celebrate Juneteenth, he began a slight, slightly over one-minute clip with uh, that garnered over 30,000 views as of Sunday morning. He said, I'm reminded that Juneteenth was brought about because of what Democrats did to black people, enslaving black people, when it was Republicans that freed the black people, he said. He wasn't done. He called out the false narrative surrounding Democrat and Republican roles about slavery typically promoted every year on Juneteenth. And so, ironically, he said, when they teach about Juneteenth, we don't hear anything about how the Democrats were the ones who wanted slavery. They tried to protect and secure and keep slavery. But it was Republicans who got out, fought, and died to free the slaves. He was arguing that liberals don't want, especially black people, to know that. And he called for the youth today to be educated, given the truth behind the political support for and opposition to slavery. And so I just wanted to say, we celebrate Juneteenth. Let's think about the role, and let's educate our kids about the role that Republicans played in the freeing of slaves, and the role that Democrats played to keep slaves enslaved. Just something to point out, Not a white guy out there just spewing venom, folks. This is an African-American guy who's running for Congress. He he was a really good uh, Democrat state representative in Georgia. I can't say things like he just said and be credible. And, of course, there are those on the Democrat side of uh, 
the political spectrum that immediately will call him out because he's African-American and he's talking about Democrats were the ones that enslaved and wanted to keep black people enslaved. They call him Uncle Tom. There you go. They will never hit something like this head on and try to counter it with factual information. It's much easier for them to just go straight to the identity politics and find the race card and throw it out there. And of course, to denigrate an African-American conservative, the race card universally pulled and played is a name, Uncle Tom. So Vernon Jones spent the whole weekend as African-American leaders from the Democrat side, left and right, just went nuts about him. And they all defaulted to Uncle Tom. (laughs) I hope you didn't have any problems over the weekend. I hope you, uh, you know, you you were able to concentrate on the good stuff. Having family is, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, just real quickly, I'll uh, commiserate before we move on about the father situation in my life, about, I guess, 40 years ago, my dad stepped out of my life and uh, subsequently the life of his lives of his only grandchildren and great-grandchildren, biological. Um, My family broke up in 1969, three days before Christmas when dad left, and... uh, He moved back to South Texas, where our family's from, and married, fell in love and married another woman there that had a small boy, and she kind of pushed dad away from having relationships with me and my brother. And I'm not griping or whining. I just want you to understand, people can get through stuff like this. Sometimes it's not easy, but we can get through it if we'll just make up our minds. So let me tell you what I did. Uh, I was 16 when that happened. And I just made a pact with myself. I was going to find the woman of my dreams and I was going to fall in love with her and build a life and raise a family with her and nothing, nothing that would even attempt to pull us apart was ever going to be allowed. We would, no matter how tough it got, we would push right through it, work together and find a way to resolve everything other than ending up splitting up. I refuse to accept that. And I can tell you this numerous times in our 47 years, both of us have looked at the other and wanted to spit in their faces because they were the other one, either me talking about Marianne or Marianne talking about me. We weren't worth the effort. Thankfully, Marianne always settled on something that said, yeah, it's a tough go, but I'm going to stick in here. And I did the same thing. So the way I have parented as a father, it's sad to say this, but let me tell you exactly what I did. I looked at everything my dad did, everything my dad didn't do, and I reversed each of them 180 degrees. And I've tried to implement that. Now, I'm not saying my dad did nothing good, but I always question now looking back what his intentions were when he did those things. Dad? Kids are pretty sharp. Kids get us. And even when we think we're hiding and we're not being communicative with them so they don't know, they don't see, they don't understand, most times kids do, especially today. Kids are a lot sharper 
They've got a lot more uh, things that enable them to communicate than we had when we were kids. They're seeing a lot of things between you and mom that you try to hide or you think they're not paying attention to. Kids pay attention to what's going on with moms and dads. So celebrate your dad. Don't just do it one day a year. Just like not celebrating moms on just Mother's Day every year. Celebrate them every day of the year. And I got to be honest with you, one thing that we hold true to in our family, very seldom does a day go by that I don't in some way communicate with one or two or all three of my kids and they with me. And pretty much every time we do that, either by text or phone or email, there's a I love you at the end of each one of them. And that's a sincere form of congratulating the one you're talking to for being somebody, just being somebody in our lives and that you're valuable in our lives. I really love my family and I love every member in it. And I'm blessed. And I tell you what, In my family, I include you now. Everybody that is part of the Truth News Network family, those that listen to this show live Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time, and those of you that grab it from wherever you get your favorite podcast, I want to say thank you for letting us be a part of your lives. And if you ever need to talk to anybody, just unload. You can do it easily. All you got to do is grab your, uh, your iPhone Um, whichever type of cell phone you use, drop me a text or, uh, it's, it's easier to get me, uh, via, uh, email dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org. And we respond to every one of those that we get. Well, I, I guarantee you, you probably won't believe this, but Joe Biden never went to sleep over the weekend. At least somebody was up tweeting on his account was putting out information and stuff, although we both know Joe wasn't. He wasn't doing any of that. But what he has continued to do is show us all where his head really is. And I got to be honest with you, his head is not specifically in what's best for the people of the United States. He is hung up on so much political partisanship stuff that he just seems... Vapid. He doesn't have a clue about what is on the mind and the heart and what are important for the American people. Friday morning, prime example, he hosted a climate change forum at the White House Friday. And of course, in it, he was calling for a quick transition to electric vehicles, all consuming in our energy issues. We've got to reduce America's dependence on oil. Now, that's why he's headed over to the Middle East this week to beg them to increase their production of oil. And that's why over here, he's screaming and hollering at the CEOs of our major oil producers, screaming at them to increase their production of oil. All of this at the same time, we've got to transition to electric vehicles and reduce Americans' dependence on oil. And in that conversation, every time it comes up, he blames Vladimir Putin. He said in his climate get-together on Friday, Russia's war is driving up prices of gas. Everybody knows that. Hurting people in all of our countries. 
He said that like he's the president of the world, all of our countries. It was a virtual conference, and he had some of the world's biggest economies included in it, like China, Germany, Saudi, United Kingdom, European Union. He spoke with those world leaders and his administration's climate change jar, czar John Kerry. Kerry was in the middle of it. Of course, John Kerry is... Uh, uh, he's a, he's a he's an airhead, folks. I can't I can't even be nice and uh, get into that. <clears throat> he was on Twitter over the weekend, and Twitter users they took him on. His assertions that the U.S. absolutely does not need to drill for more oil and gas in the middle of our ongoing energy crisis. He was speaking out in California at Southern Cal Center of public diplomacy on Friday. He railed against fossil fuels, saying that energy security concerns are driving complaints that the U.S. needs to perform more domestic drilling and return to coal. Here's what the uh, climate sycophant had to say. Quote, no, we don't. We absolutely don't need to drill more oil here domestically. We must prevent a false narrative from entering into this, a false narrative, a false narrative. That was said. We don't need to enter a false narrative into this. That's all he is. That's all he does. These people, and this is nothing new, folks, decade after decade after decade, the climate activists have told us Everything from there's going to be another ice age, the world is going to be flooded, we're going to dry, we won't have any rain, everything's going to burn, it's going to be toast, and we're going to look like what we think some of these other planets look like where there's no atmosphere. Everything in between. Every decade, they change their cries. But the universal thing they tell us is if we don't do this, whatever this happens to be, we're all going to die. John Kerry and others like him are absolutely hardcore sycophants that are trying to make and keep themselves applicable in Americans' lives. That's all it is. John Kerry, he was a senator for a long time, but his greatest achievement, even after he became Secretary of State, the second Secretary of State under Barack Obama after Hillary Clinton was gone, He's been up there a whole lot of time, but he lost the presidential election to Bush 43, and ever since then, he's tried to make himself applicable. And the only place where he's applicable is as Teresa Hine Carey's squeeze boy, mega millionaire, multimillionaire, Teresa Hines Carey. She inherited the Hines uh, whole company when her husband passed away. John Kerry and her married and the rest is history. He jets around the world preaching to everybody else about climate change, no domestic oil, no domestic oil. Folks, these guys, these men and women that continue to beat that drum and they give us, never have given us a real plan to transition away from oil. It took generations of development for the United States to come up with a way to provide 
cost-effective energy so that we can run every aspect of our lives. If you look around your home today, and I'm not saying you even got to go out in the garage, the petroleum products that are in your home that you use for day, every day and take for granted, you can't have those thousands, tens of thousands of products. We can't have, we won't have if we don't have petroleum being produced domestically. And even if there was a way to do it, and maybe there is, I'm not saying there's not, but nothing, nothing can work when it comes to replacing oil in our lives without there being an exhaustive examination and investigation, years of research, trial and error, and coming up with ways to potentially make that transition. That hadn't been done. There is nobody out there that's even saying, we need to do this. We need to get away from total reliance on oil and gas. And here's how we've got to do it. And here's a plan to make it work. And here's how it can work over a period of time. We're going to add testing so we can look at all of these things. We didn't get here in 10 or 30 or 50 or 60 years. We're not going to get out of here in 10 or 30 or 50 or 60 years. But we're going to be smart. We're going to be wise. And we're going to make it work. And we're not going to use politics to drive what we do. But they won't do it. Ketchup Carey is out of touch with reality. (laughs) That's what radio host Justin Barclay wrote in a quote tweet over the weekend. Gas buddy writer Patrick DeHaan. He frequents energy issues, including soaring gas prices. He got all over Carey for his natural energy push, saying, let's see that private jet that he flies on all the time on solar energy, please. Radio host Buck Sexton, among the most recognizable critics, he ripped Carey, writing, he absolutely does not care that millions of us can't afford gas, running up debt on our grocery bills, and adding that Carey thinks people who didn't marry into fortunes created by other men are chumps who must suffer to save the climate. Best-selling author and entrepreneur Vivek Ramzawarni who said he disagreed with the U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate and from editor and writer Jazz Shaw, who took a shot at Kerry saying he had yet to figure out why and which Orwellian animal farm character Kerry's trying to play. (laughs) Relying on foreign oil imports while pretending to use wind and solar is not even a feasible strategy, and it's stupid for anybody to take it and try to sell it and convince us that it is when they can't do it. They can't do it. They won't. Here's here's what's got to be going on. Now, listen closely. Calm down, Dan. Anytime stuff like this happens and you can't just reach out and in the air, based upon all the facts you see in here, facts, not noise, but facts that you see in here, If you cannot reach a reasonable explanation for why these things are being done, you've always got to ask this question. What is the purpose of this stupid, 
unbelievably impossible pipe dream that the climate activists are trying to shove down our throats. And there can be only one. I have been unable to come up with any but this one. To give the government 100% power over our energy sector. To control every segment of it. Why would they want to do that? Because they know just how critical oil and gas in our lives is and has been and how dependent every sector of our lives, every sector of our economies, our social lives, every sector way down deep has a huge reliance on domestic oil production right now. Can we ever morph into something else like solar, like wind? I'm not saying we can't, but right now today, it cannot be done. And anybody in your government that tells you we can is lying to you. It's impossible. If it could be done, if there was some proverbial switch out there to flip and all of a sudden, bam, we're 90 to 100% solar and wind, it would have already been done. It would have already been done. But there's no plan. And there's no plan on the horizon. They have no intentions of converting us to quote-unquote renewable green energy. It's not going to happen. But it's something they're trying to use as a weapon to beat us over the head, demanding day after day after day, year after year, decade after decade, we've got to do this or we're going to die. We've got to do this or we're going to die. You know what their ultimate goal they tell us is? To get us off of domestic oil, any kind of fossil fuel alliance, and get us to renewables? You know what their goal is? By the end of this century, to drop the average temperature on the planet by one and a half degrees. Now, I don't think I'm going to be around at the turn of the next century. I would be pretty old if, uh, if the calendar changed that day and I was still breathing. But I can tell you this, between here and there, I don't see any kind of realistic reason or even an option to turn our backs on fossil fuel and just go gusto after the green energy stuff that they're throwing out there. What they want doesn't exist yet. Can it exist? Will it exist? Two questions that probably should have been asked before Joe Biden personally on day one in the, in the White House, in the Oval Office, he began the arbitrary dismantling of America's fossil fuel industry. And hundreds of thousands of people are paying the price. Millions of Americans are paying the price for something that it's a pipe dream and it cannot be implemented and fulfilled. They've got to be called to reckon for this. They've got to. Because it's just not right. Well, did you hear anything about the January 6th committee stuff over the weekend? You probably, like most of us, you tried to stay away from the stupidity of 
that and many other things going on in government. <clears throat> well, it's it's not through. The January 6th stupidity, insanity, it's nowhere near being true. through. We've got some more from them. We've got some news about Liz Cheney and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I am back. I sound a little rough, and I get that we do. But uh, believe me, it's not painful. I don't have fever. Um, I did have strep throat and bronchitis on Friday, and I had it most of the week last week, didn't know it. But I'm on top of it now. And uh, I thank you for being here. More right after this. We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Kept up with Liz Cheney, Republican, well, she's really a rhino, Republican in name only, member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Wyoming of all places. Um, there's a lot of things we could say about Liz Cheney, but I think her life in politics, you don't need me to um, interpret anything about her for you. Let me tell you what's going on right now up in Wyoming. There, just like every congressional state and district, there every two years will be a representative from Wyoming from a one specific congressional district will be elected this coming November to serve two year term in the United States house of representatives. She's been up there a good while and she's pretty much had nobody take her on in these, uh, uh, these every two year elections for Congress in Wyoming. But there are several Republican candidates that have stepped up in the wake of her being who she is, which is a anti-Trump guy, 
I mean, she cannot stand Donald Trump. She'll do anything and everything she can to keep him from even sniffing 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue going forward. Yeah, she wants him arrested and tried for whatever, whatever. She voted as a Republican. She voted in both cases when Donald Trump was impeached. She voted to impeach him. She, during this campaign cycle, now put this in the context of what we're talking about. She has not even darkened the state borders of Wyoming. Her number one challenger right now in the Republican primary in her congressional district is up on Liz Cheney in polling by 30-plus points. Now, why is that? She has won re-election multiple times with massive numbers. What changed? I mean, it's pretty obvious, don't you think? She has gone postal in her hatred for Donald Trump across the nation, but it's not so specific across the nation. In her case, the people that she represents in Wyoming, they can't stand her picture on that. I, uh, I watched last week as somebody in Wyoming, one of the networks went out with a reporter and began to ask people on the street about Liz Cheney and why they supported her or why they didn't and what they thought about what's going on with the January 6th committee that she's one of the heads of. And almost to a person, every one of them said, you know, we've always liked Liz Cheney and we supported her, but we can't support her because of what she's doing now in this January 6th committee. It's amazing to me. It's, it, it just blows my mind when I look at individuals that often just seem to go off the reservation. They've been in office in either the U.S. House of Representatives or the United States Senate, many of them for years, and then all of a sudden they just go off the reservation. And everything they believed, every policy perspectives that they always supported or that they were against, they just flip. I mean, look, we've got the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court right now, Roberts, John Roberts, when he was appointed to serve on the court, he was very conservative politically. And everybody on the left said, hey, this guy, he's going to turn it upside down. He's going to be political. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And they screamed it for years. And you know what? In many cases, in the first few years of his serving, it's exactly what he did. He was a conservative. And he weighed in on very, very important issues that impact us all with a conservative perspective. And then all of a sudden, his whole outlook changed. Bam, 180 degrees, went the other way. Now he's considered to be a rhino. Well, that really doesn't apply to a Supreme Court justice because they're not political. They don't run for election. So let's just say a turncoat to conservatives. Because of late, in almost every case, when he writes an opinion, the majority opinion, he's caucusing with the leftist on the Supreme Court. Why do you think that happens? I can only think of one reason. I can promise you this. He is a, a studied law professor and a tat, tat, uh, tat, uh, statistician when it comes to things in the law. He knows it from top to bottom. It's got to be something or somebody 
politically that got to him and changed his mind. Typically, that doesn't just happen in the middle of a life in such a role as being a Supreme Court justice. Something flipped the switch. Well, let's go back to Liz Cheney and the January 6th committee. Have you heard about this one? Do you know who Virginia Jenny Thomas is? Do you know? Think about it for a second. She is the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas was the only African-American on the court uh, until our new, recently confirmed justice is going to take her spot when Alito resigns and leaves office. Well, she got, Jenny Thomas, got in a little trouble, and the January 6th committee want to talk to her about it. Here's what they did. They sent a letter to Jenny Thomas Thursday last week asking her to speak to them, the committee did, regarding information concerning John Eastman's plans and activities relative to the January 6th investigation. Now, this came after chairman of the committee, Benny Thompson, who's a Democrat from Mississippi. He said the committee thinks it's time that we at some point invite her to come talk to us. Thomas is the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. She suggested in a statement, a response, that she'd be open to speaking with the committee, saying she can't wait to clear up misconceptions and looks forward to talking to the committee. The committee believes that you likely, this is from the letter, the committee believes that you likely have information relevant to our investigation. We request an interview with you to discuss your knowledge of certain events and activities following the November 2020 presidential election. We respect your privacy. Our questions will be limited to issues relating to January 6th, the activities that contributed to or influenced events that day, and the transfer of power after the election. Now, they suggested they get together with her soon, her word soon, and they gave her dates of July 6th, 7th, or 8th as a proposed day for them to speak. Please let us know whether one of these will fit in your schedule. If you're unavailable on those dates, we can arrange a time during the week of July 11th. The letter also noted that the committee is requesting documents that are relevant to their investigation, listing a bunch of examples of documents or communications that would fit their request. Now, this is interesting to me because she is not in government. She doesn't have any role or responsibility to even get involved in what they're doing. Now, the letter talks about Eastman, who was a conservative attorney involved in Donald Trump's push to overturn the 2020 election. And the reason they're doing this is they said they've got information recently obtained regarding Eastman's activity. Now, what does that have to do with Clarence Thomas's wife? Well, they continued in their letter. We are specifically investigating the activities of President Trump, John Eastman, and others. They relate to the Constitution and certain other laws, including the Electoral Count Act, that set out the required process 
for the election and inauguration of the president, yada, yada, yada. In early December, his efforts were in full swing. A federal court recently stated that his and President Trump's pressure campaign to stop the electoral count targeted every tier of federal and state elected officials. I don't even know why I'm reading you this part of their letter because it is nothing but political posturing and stumping. Why would they even put this in the letter to her? Well, here's what happened. Eastman published a substack on Thursday of last week dismissing the January 6th committee's probe into his conversations with Thomas. He wrote that he did not speak with Clarence Thomas or Jenny Thomas about any matters pending or likely to come before the court and suggested that an email statement he made about the Supreme Court was separate from his communications with Jenny Thomas. He also published a single email in which Thomas asked him, Jenny Thomas, to give an update about election litigation to a group that she met with periodically. It's not clear whether there are more emails or how many emails the January 6th committee got. A anonymous person, I love these, <laughs> an anonymous person familiar with the emails said that the email published by Eastman is the only email between him and Jenny. To John's knowledge, this is the only email between him and Jenny. Now, what, what is all of this? What is all this leading to? They are desperate. This committee is desperate. Put it. Put, put this in context. What I'm about to tell you. The summer of 2020. Do you remember what was going on in the summer of 2020? I was a run up to the election in the fall, November 3rd. I get all that. But what was happening around the nation? What was going on in Portland? What was going on in Seattle? What was going on in Minneapolis? What was going on in Baltimore, New York City, upstate New York, Rochester, Atlanta, Georgia, Los Angeles, San what was going on? All of these people on this January 6th committee, they were applauding as every night in Portland, Oregon, for months, every night, downtown Portland was under siege. There were protests and riots, millions of dollars worth of damage done to public and private property in Portland, in Seattle, in Minneapolis. And they were applauding it. Yes, yes, go for it, go do it. None of those people are in jail. None of those people are in jail. Did you hear that? None of them are in jail. And then we get January 6th. Why don't, why don't they give us the statistics on the people that have been arrested, the states of the investigations going on to all those people that they picked up? They have that massive FBI tool that they use, facial recognition, they have gone back and they have tagged every person that was there on January 6th around the Capitol, and they've reached out to them. They've either been arrested or they've been notified that they're about to be arrested. Steve Baker, who's been on this show three times, was there. He's been notified. He and his attorney are waiting for him to be picked up by the Department of Justice and arrested for just being there. 
do you know that less of all of the people that have been charged, over 600, less than 50 have had their cases resolved, either in court or by cutting deals. And of those that have been resolved, less than a handful have resulted in anything other than misdemeanor charges. Now, they think this was the insurrection of all time, they being the January 6th committee and others that support the January 6th committee. This was the most egregious thing that's ever happened in the history of America. I'm serious. They, they say it again and again. They get up and they pontificate in front of television cameras every time they get an opportunity to tell us how horrible those people were. The only person that was shot and killed by anybody that day was Ashley Babbitt, who was shot from behind by a Capitol Hill policeman. She was unarmed, was not threatening anybody, had no weapons whatsoever, shot and died. The coroner of Washington, D.C., the official cause of death for Ashley Babbitt was murder, homicide. The cop that did it was never arrested. He was never suspended. He was never charged. The only person that died that day because of what was going on. Now, I'm not saying there weren't bad people in the crowd. There weren't other injuries that took place. We know that happened, and it shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. Ashley Babbitt died at the hands of a Capitol Police, and she died for what reason or reasons? It had nothing to do with any of her own personal actions. Because by law, you don't have to be a policeman for this to be true. You can only shoot somebody legally in self-defense. She had her back to this guy and wasn't armed. It was not threatening anybody. Nobody picks that up. But here's what we're doing. We have this group of leftist sycophants that are up in front of the House, one of the committee rooms, and they for months have been spending, just as we did in the Mueller investigation, tens of millions of taxpayer dollars trying to find something with which to hang a guy that they hate politically and don't want him back in Washington, D.C. You and I are paying the financial price. We have people in jail. How many of those still in jail in Washington, D.C. that were arrested and have been held with no bail? More than 100. No speedy trial. This nation, politically, is falling apart. And the people that are responsible for it falling apart are the same people who are responsible for holding it together. They're making their choices, and Americans are watching. The center of our government, everybody knows, is Washington, D.C. I'm going to pause just a second. A recent analysis was done about racial equity, the most 
racial equality across the nation. I have no idea why somebody would go to the trouble of doing this. How do you come up with a legitimate method to rate the most racial equality cities in this country? But they did. In the analysis, the analysis showed that Washington, D.C. is number 51 in most equality categories. And it took all 50 states in D.C. into consideration. 51, racial equality. They preach to you and I, they preach to everybody. Oh, we, you know, there's no equality in the United States. The government's got to step in. And it's not about equality, it's about equity. We need to be able to put our fingers on the weight of fairness and equality. That's called equity, and we're going to do that in every case. This is the city that is ranked number 51 on the list of 51. And it's made because it's there the most unequitable, inequitable, which term you use is up to you, the worst one in the nation. And who's and, and they're talking about employment. What's the number one employer? Employer in Washington, D.C., federal government. And the people that are running, people that have control in our federal government are the ones that are creating on the fly, not talking about it, but are creating it in our lives. These circumstances, the atmosphere in which their policies in Washington, D.C. make that city the most inequitable city compared to 50 states and then Washington, D.C., 51 different comparisons. Now, what does that tell you? Or are people in our federal government, the ones that we give buttloads of money to during campaign seasons, does that mean they don't listen to any voters? Well, no, it doesn't mean that at all. <clears throat> it means they're listening to a small segment who have, because of these politicians, that are willing to pick up those causes and give money and fund those groups to give them a bigger voice. And they scream the loudest. And because they scream the loudest, because they have so much political might behind them, Americans have begun to believe these are the people that represent the majority of Americans. And that's not the case. That's not the case. Our democracy, oh my gosh, it it isn't just under assault. It's under attack. And it has been for decades. You know where the easiest place to see that it's happening is? And it was very unusual that we discovered it in our public education system. Now, how did that happen? Well, we won't get into the critical race conversation. You know it's real. You know it's there. And you know how hard the public education bureaucracy is pushing back There's no such thing as critical race theory. It wasn't taught in schools, and it's been proven again and again and again. It has been, 
and it is at every level. And it's not just in our public education system. It's filtering out into our private and commercial industries. Critical race theory. Every decision must be made based upon its racial perspective. And it's got to be equitable or it's going to be bad. Well, who decides what's equitable and what's not? It's certainly not you or me. The government wants that power, and they want to empower like-minded groups like the school board association at the U.S. level. They want to empower those folks to handle it. Our democracy is being very quickly now and very deliberately taken from the American people, and it's moved to Washington, D.C., to not elected people, folks, but to appointed people that fly below the radar screen of accountability to you and me. Like the National School Board Association. Carl Sagan, of all people, weighed in about the cost of what you and I are living in right now. He did this, folks, 25 years ago, Carl Sagan said this. All this, I mean, you know, this is not the thing that... There's two kinds of dangers. One is what I just talked about, that we've arranged a society based on science and technology in which nobody understands anything about science and technology. And this combustible mixture of ignorance and power, sooner or later, is going to blow up in our faces. I mean, who is running the science and technology in a democracy if the people don't know anything about it. And the second reason that I'm, I'm worried about this is that science is more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking, a way of skeptically interrogating the universe with a fine understanding of human fallibility. If, if we are not able to ask skeptical questions, to interrogate those who tell us mm-hmm. that something is true, to be skeptical of those in authority, then we're up for grabs for the next charlatan, political or religious who comes ambling along. 25 years ago, Carl Sagan identified this. And I gotta be honest with you, people like Thomas Jefferson, way back in the 1700s, they warned us about politics. They warned us that if we let politics take over anything in our nation, anything whatsoever, we're going to start a downhill trek that we probably will never stop going down until horrible things happen. We're on that road right now, folks. We are. And there are so many points that are saying, this is happening. This is happening. And many people, I mean, there are some great people out there, great people very smart people out there in politics that are ringing this bell and nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Before we go to a break, let me, let me give you an example. In um, Senate debates last week, there's been a lot of debate stuff going on. A lot of it has to do with uh, government spending, government money. Yeah. I mean, they spend money like They have an inexhaustible supply of money. Well, they do. It's called just simply print up some treasury bonds 
and say, this one's worth $10 million and go sell it. Well, the only problem is, is that bond they sold is not backed by anything. It's supposed to be backed by something substantive so that whoever buys it has a guarantee the government's going to repay that $10 million. They don't. It's called federal debt. So in the Senate, they were talking about a, a lot of massive spending that are very questionable. And somebody who is not typically in line with that particular concern, spending money, Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders, he addressed something that Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, who is a very conservative senator, he's from Kentucky, you know who I'm talking about. They were having debate. And so Bernie Sanders questions some of the government spending, and he got very specific. Listen closely to Bernie Sanders. Senator Paul raised the issue about money and so forth. And I look at it, uh, his questions are valid, but I look at it a slightly different way. I am concerned, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Moderno, who helped create one of the important vaccines that is saving lives, received, as I recall, about $2.5 billion, I think, during the Trump administration. My understanding, and you correct me if I am wrong, is that the gentleman who is the head or was the head of Moderna recently received a golden parachute of some $800 million, $2.5 billion of federal funding to develop the drug. Moderna makes huge amounts of money. This guy receives $800 million in golden, golden parachute. Am I right about that? I'm not aware of that. It's not something I would keep up with, particularly in this job. Not something you would keep up with? Um, the head of the Food and Drug Administration, you would not be concerned that a guy, when we're producing, trying to get vaccines out to people, um, it was, my, I'm corrected, it's a $926 million golden parachute if that's true, if the federal government gives a company $2.5 billion and short time later the head of the company gets a $900 million golden parachute, that is not a concern to you? No, I didn't say it was not a concern. I said it's not something I keep up with in daily life. What I'm very concerned about is the equitable, equitable distribution of vaccines that save lives and antivirals that save lives, and we're not reaching the goals that we need. At this well, point. maybe... You know, I think we need, I would hope everybody agrees that we need the financial resources to make sure that everybody has the vaccines. But if one guy ends up with $900 million, rather than using that money to get out the, the, the medicine we need, the vaccines we need out to the people, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Thank, thank, thank you very much, Madam Chair. We've talked throughout the pandemic. We've talked exhaustively about the federal dollars that have been earmarked and have been spent. And again, these aren't federal dollars laying around in a bank account somewhere. They're not in a New York Reserve Bank vault in Washington, D.C. or in New York City. This is money we don't have. It doesn't exist. So we borrow the money. We're borrowing the money. Most of it is being borrowed from the American citizens in the way of those treasury bonds. Now, wait a minute. I don't have any treasury bonds, and I'm a citizen of the United States, Nobody's asking me about any of this. Well, here's how it works. If you have any type of retirement plan, I don't care if it's an IRA, a 401k plan, or if you just have a private uh, account, money market fund account, 
that money is not just laying in your bank. That money is being invested by the people, the institutions that you deposited at. They hire experts to invest it based upon your desire of conservatism or the type of things you want to invest in. We all fill out those things when we open those accounts. Those entities, those investment banks, those retirement funds, they're buying using your money, buying a bunch of treasury bonds. The number one place where federal debt is being held, it's not by foreign countries. It's by the American people. And we've already been warned by some financial experts that the federal government is trying to come up with a way to take, 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 seize, take 100% control of the financial system in the United States of America. And with that would come their ability to access every account, every financial account, And the way they're going to do it, listen to this, and I'm going to blow your mind. There is a huge segment of our federal government right now that are quietly plotting to move all of our financial system away from our existing fiat currency system and convert it to cryptocurrency. And if that ever happens, it will happen only with this government controlling the cryptocurrency system, being all electronic, all internet-based, the federal government, if this ever comes down, will have unfettered access to all of our money. That's a fact. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Duncan is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Duncan with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Duncan. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Duncan. Price of participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. That's just swing. I'm holding a... Swing! Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You're standing against the tide of creeping insanity. One truth at a time. TNN. The Truth News Network. I don't know. 
there's plenty of creeping insanity to go around for all of us today. And I, I don't know how we're going to be able to keep up with it. We do our darndest here. We spend a lot of time in research. And that's what we do here. And we're, we're absolutely not complaining about that. We're very grateful that we have that opportunity and that with it we can bring you stuff so that you can know about. I mean, look at this next thing we're talking about. I alluded to it previously this morning. The National School Boards Association, NSBA, they're the ones that broke all this information about critical race theory when they began to weaponize school board meetings to put these kids lock them down in this critical race theory mindset. We didn't know. American parents had no idea that across the nation, in our classrooms, public school classrooms, our children had been being taught critical race theory for years before the pandemic. It was only when our kids got sent home during the pandemic and moms and dads alike had to split time at work to be at home, to teach their kids and watch their kids on these Zoom meetings, Zoom classroom meetings, and many of them saw and heard the teaching of critical race theory. Parents have now seen the inside of the public school beast. And parents understand better than ever before who's feeding the beast. And they are nationwide responding with a loud voice of not my children, not on my watch. That's coming from Moms for America Senior Director Keisha King. The NSBA's infamous letter to the Department of Justice back in September of 2021, you remember, asked for parents protesting at school board meetings for the federal government, the DOJ, to investigate them. And the letter said, Why would they investigate these parents? School officials are facing threats and violence in these meetings, they said. The letter asked that action should be examined under the Patriot Act. What does that cover? Domestic terrorism. That's what the Patriot Act is all about. An independent review found that the National School Board Association letter was even more extreme in draft form. It called for the deployment of the National Guard and the military police to monitor school board meetings around the nation. And so guess what's happening? Very quietly around the nation, states, not localities, states are withdrawing their membership in the National School Board Association. State public school boards are doing that. Somebody tweeted this. Hmm, how does the National School Board Association still continue to operate if they only have a few states left as members? I don't even have the exact number because every day another state drops out, but it is happening. Maybe, just maybe, We've opened our eyes and some of the actions that have been being taken for years that we didn't didn't even know about are being checked and being stopped. If we don't inject ourselves as Americans, everybody listening, I don't care if you're listening live or if you're getting this later today, you need to listen to this. If we don't engage in all of these issues, not just public school issues, 
But every issue we're talking about, we haven't even gotten into our illegal immigration problems that are every day. I can tell you they're going up exponentially daily and they're already in reality light years worse than you and I have been told they are. And this is, this is turning into an invasion of illegals across our nation that you and I are funding 100% of. And we're going to get more into that in a little bit when we, we start talking about some of the fallout from our illegal immigration. But at least our parents are awakening. The parents of public school students are awakening and saying, no more. We're not going to take this in our kids' classrooms. So as you can imagine, over the weekend, everything in America just continued to be everything in America. In Chicago, I don't know if you heard it, 32 people were shot, three of them fatally, Friday into Sunday morning up in Chicago. First shooting occurred about 8.30 Friday night. A 30-year-old man was shot and killed while he was standing on the front porch. Second fatal shooting occurred at 11.45 that night. 22-year-old man shot inside a vehicle. A 22-year-old was in one vehicle. Someone inside another vehicle opened fire. The weekend's third fatal shooting occurred Sunday morning, 3.35 a.m. Five people were shot and wounded in one incident Friday night, about 11.45, just before midnight. A group of people standing in a parking lot, somebody opened fire on them, wounding one woman and four men. 280 people, 280 people were killed in Chicago. This year, from January 1st, New Year's Day, through June 18th, 280 people in Chicago. Now, you know, the, uh, the worst news that comes out of that for me, obviously, these people were shot, some died. That's bad enough. But the worst news about this is when we get these stories with all of the furor and uproar over gun control, I mean, these, these ridiculous policies that people want to turn into law, not because they'll be effective, because they won't be. They're not going to be effective. We have very stringent laws on our books today. Every state, dozens and dozens of federal gun control laws that law enforcement from the Department of Justice on down aren't enforcing. Any bill that is ever signed into law, it's only as good as the people are enforcing it. If it's not going to be enforced, it doesn't matter if it even exists. And our law enforcement people are not enforcing the law. Who's responsible? It starts at the White House. This president, I can tell you, he's the executive, chief executive officer of the United States of America. He doesn't push his people to enforce laws with which he disagrees, which is anti-democracy. It's totalitarian. And by the way, if you missed our show on Friday, Joe Biden is an authoritarian in our government, and he wants sole power to arbitrarily determine what is done and what is not done. Forget about the people's voice, the United States Congress. Forget about the House of Representatives. Forget about the Senate. Just tell your lapdog over at the DOJ, Merrick Garland, 
And Christopher Ray, the other one upstairs in the FBI building, he's a director. Tell them you don't enforce anything unless it comes from the White House. You just let the nation burn. And we are there, folks. We are there. This president doesn't want laws enforced. If he did, guess what? They would be being enforced. Over the weekend, a 15-year-old boy killed at the Juneteenth shooting in Washington while a police officer, two other adults, were shot and injured. The shooting appeared to break out after two separate incidents following what the D.C. Chief of Police, Robert Conti, called an unpermitted event at around 6 p.m. held by the group Mochella. The Mochella Music Festival featured go-go bands, celebrating the recently enshrined holiday Juneteenth, which commemorates the emancipation of slaves in the U.S. The shooting happened in the middle of the city. Police say the wounded officer was shot in the leg. The extent of his injuries for the other two remain unknown at this time, though police say they are all in stable condition. At one point, there was some type of incident or fight among the crowd broken up, authorities said. Then after a secondary incident, people started to flee. Some had their legs and ankles trampled. Officers shut down the event. Paramedics treated victims. The gunfire that would claim the life of a teen and injure three others erupted. Police are searching for a black male about five feet four inches with curly hair wearing all black. No city, no zip code, no community, no racial color, no person from any nation or origin, doesn't matter what it is, nobody's exempt anymore. Lawlessness begats lawlessness, and lawlessness doesn't have skin color. It doesn't. Anybody, if they make a determination to break laws, can and will break laws. The only way that can be stopped, the only way it ever will be stopped, is if our government says, Enough is enough. We are going to step in and enforce laws across the board. It doesn't matter. Unless they are changed or deleted through the legislative process, every law will be enforced until the people's representatives change it. And by the way, Joe Biden is not the people's representative. Each individual member in the 535 seats in the the Capitol, that are elected by us. They represent us directly. The House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, is called the People's House for that reason. We elect those individuals. Here in the 4th Congressional District in Louisiana, where I live, Mike Johnson, Congressman Mike Johnson, is my representative. That's the person I reach out to, to have a conversation with about the specific things that are important to us here in the 4th Congressional District. There's no way I ever get an opportunity to talk to anybody at the White House. And it's not their role to talk to me. Their role is to speak with and communicate with my representatives. That would be Bill Cassidy and John Kennedy, the two Louisiana U.S. Senators, and then Mike Johnson for my district, 4th Congressional District. Same applies to you. Whoever represents you, whatever state you're in, your senator's there. Whatever congressional district 
you live in. Those are the people that we the people need to hammer over and over again and tell them exactly how we feel and that we need to see them enforcing the laws, not giving anybody, it doesn't matter what level in government these other people are in, the same level as our representatives or even those in the White House, enforce the laws that the people pass. This violence is killing generations now of Americans. And all of this is happening. Most of it is happening with illegally owned guns. Have you ever wondered why we never hear the sources of the guns that are used in these every weekend Chicago killings? They don't want us to know. Because the guns are not being bought from Academy with a background check that approves a person to buy it before they can. These are illegal guns. The people perpetrating should have already been taken off the streets for possessing guns illegally. None of this is happening. And we have cops that are getting caught in the middle of this and their lives are being snuffed out when our administration, our executive branch, does nothing about it. Welcome back. Well, the suspect accused of murdering two California police officers earlier this week was a free man, thanks to L.A. District Attorney George Gascon's soft on crime policies. The L.A. Times is reporting that Justin Flores had served two prison terms for burglary and car theft and pleaded no contest to possessing a firearm as a felon late last year. The weapons charge could have sent the carrier, uh, the career criminal back to prison for three years, but instead... He was sentenced to just two years probation and 20 days of time served. All of this as the group working to recall Gascon says that they've reached the 650,000 signatures to trigger a recall against him. Dagan McDowell, you saw this coming. Yes, uh, George Gascon, just like Chase Boudin and even Alvin Bragg, these men are pro-criminal. Uh, they are anti-cop and they are a danger to police officers, they are a danger to people, law-abiding citizens and residents who live in these cities. Uh, looking at this murderer, Justin Flores, you talked about he should have been, not just could, should have been behind bars for this weapons charge. He was a convicted felon. And in fact, a day before Flores killed these police, um, these police officers, a probation officer filed to revoke uh, a revocation because he had assaulted his girlfriend last week, violating the probation. There, in no world should this man have been on the street. And as much as the liberals talk about guns, they aren't willing to take people off the street when felons are busted carrying illegal weapons. But they want to go after law-abiding residents and citizens who want to protect themselves. It is a world of insanity that is facing reality, and that starts with getting rid of these district attorneys. Yep. Mark, there has been no movement on the cashless bail. That is one of the major problems here. Yeah, I, I don't understand these pro-crime, anti-safety 
DAs. I mean, this is just, it's getting absolutely crazy. Uh, the DA in San Francisco that got recalled, um, what's his name? Boudin. Chase Aboudin. Um, he made a comment. Yeah, he made a comment. He said, we're not going to incarcerate our way out of poverty. What the heck does that even mean? I mean, that's not even a logical statement. Incarceration has nothing to do with poverty. It has to do with providing safety to law-abiding taxpayers. And I feel like the taxpayers are, are finally beginning to feel fed up with all of these woke and progressive policies that are putting them day after day in harm's way. It's time for some pretty serious changes. And I think you're going to see that begin to happen over the course of the next several months. Let me, let me tell you how it's already beginning. This came out early this morning, a story that uh, it's coming out of Virginia. Loudoun County, Virginia prosecutor, lady named Buta Bibaraj. She, by the way, is one of those on a George Soros-funded leftist list. In an extraordinarily rare move, she was removed from a criminal case by a judge for deliberately misleading the court and the public in an attempt to sell a plea deal. Bibaraj is also under fire from Virginia Attorney General Jason Marares, who said she cares more about criminals than she does about communities. The circuit judge there, James Plowman, who was Bibaraj's predecessor, handed down an order removing her and her entire office from the case and has appointed another county Commonwealth attorney's office to serve as the prosecuting team instead. The Commonwealth of Virginia is deliberately misleading the court and the public in an effort to sell the plea agreement for some reason that has yet to be explained, the judge wrote. Bibaraj in the Loudoun County Commonwealth's Attorney's Office is hereby removed and disqualified from further prosecution as counsel of record in this matter. Now, we were very early on into this George Soros funding around the nation of district attorney's races. It didn't matter how big the city was. Yes, he did it in New York City. He did it in St. Louis. He did it in Los Angeles. He did it in San Francisco. And he's doing it in other places. He did that same thing right here in Shreveport, Louisiana. We have a Democrat, our district attorney, who I had no idea that he had any attachment to George Soros. And it became a really big deal. I mean, this is Northwest Louisiana, very conservative, red Louisiana. And during that campaign, from nowhere it seemed, a $200,000 donation comes to a PAC. And that money came from George Soros and this PAC controlled and only backed this one district attorney uh, candidate. And of course, he was elected. Watching what goes on here, and watching the criminality here. I've not seen anything yet. And as a matter of fact, I know the district attorney. I've sat next to him in church. And he's a, he seems like a really good guy. He backs all the right causes. I'm hoping this may be an exception to the typical George Soros-endorsed candidates for DAs around the nation where they're anti-cop, anti-rule of law, and pro-lawlessness and just let the rule of law go away. Can you believe we're living in that environment here in the United States? I just don't get it. Well, the Supreme Court hadn't come out and done anything on its Roe v. Wade argument. But they sure are watching furor 
out on the streets every day. The radical pro-abortion group named Jane's Revenge. They're not even done yet. They're planning more acts of domestic terrorism when the Supreme Court's decision on Roe is revealed. And they're, they've already naming the night that they're planning. They're calling it a night of rage, an autonomous call to action against patriarchal supremacy. Listen to some of the stuff out of their manifesto talking about this event. This is an event that should inspire rage in millions of people who can get pregnant. And yet the response thus far has been tepid. Yeah, I wonder why it's been tepid. If somebody disagrees with you, they're not going to give you a warm response. Take a hint, huh? (laughs) That was my editorial. Back to the manifesto. We have agonized over this apparent absence of indignation. Why is it that we are so afraid to unleash hell upon those who are destroying us? Fear of state repression is valid, but this goes deeper than that. Whatever form your furry takes, the first step is feeling it. The next step, carrying that anger out into the world and expressing it physically. Consider this your call to action. On the night the final ruling is issued, a specific date we cannot yet predict, but we know is arriving imminently, we are asking for courageous hearts to come out after dark. Whoever you are and wherever you are, we are asking for you to do what you can to make your anger known. We've selected a time of 8 p.m. for actions nationwide to begin, but know that this is a general guideline. There may be other considerations involved in planning time and place. We do not claim to speak for every community or crew. We are simply calling out to you, and we hope your answer is a response to our cries. The manifesto says if there are any Cis males allies who want to take part, okay, but do not police us. Do not tell us what is and isn't appropriate. And the manifesto ends with this. To those who work to oppress us, if abortion isn't safe, you aren't either. We are everywhere. Now let me ask you this. Have you heard anything about this? Have you even heard anything about the name of that group, Jane's Revenge? If this, if this was something that was being mentioned, even in passing, by a conservative group, this world would be on fire right now. The Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, FBI Director Christopher Ray, they would be out there already finding people, handcuffing them, hauling them downtown to jail, in, uh, interrogating these people. They would not let this happen. Why haven't they already stopped the illegal activities on this that have been going on for weeks and weeks? Once again, folks, this Biden administration, everyone in it that has anything to do with enforcing any laws, they have been told by somebody And Joe Biden made it very clear when he was campaigning. If he's elected, the buck stops with him. Every decision ultimately is his decision. And he'll hold anybody accountable that makes a decision and does something without his approval. So by that, I guess we're supposed to think that this is all on Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the one that told Merrick Garland, don't enforce federal laws that are 
prosecuting people who break the federal law that says you can't protest any judge for any pending ruling that might be made. You cannot be in their homes, at their homes, on the streets. You can't even speak out about them to try to uh, do something to impact whatever their decision is going to be. It's been illegal activity from the very beginning. If this was a conservative thing, oh my gosh, people would be under jails. Not so much now. The hypocrisy of American law enforcement has never been so obvious. But it really is. Wow. There's other news coming out of the Supreme Court this morning. No rendering yet, no ruling yet on Roe v. Wade. That hasn't happened. But there's one that uh, is coming out that has to do with states' rights. And not just states' rights in general, but state rights specifically about something pretty important to all of us, especially with the midterm elections just around the corner, has to do with states' power over their own election systems. Got that next. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. The following is an important time insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right, the clock is not ticking. What? Crawl or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, your place needs furniture. And at this sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The warehouse sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. Supreme Court hadn't done anything or announced anything yet on their Roe v. Wade decision, but they are likely, we are told, to accept a new election law case. The Republicans hope will recognize what they say is the preeminent constitutional authority of state legislatures to set all the rules for redistricting and congressional and presidential elections, as well as curb the power of state courts to intervene in those kind of disputes. The U.S. Constitution is crystal clear. State legislatures are responsible for drawing their congressional maps, not state court judges, certainly not with the aid of partisan political operatives. That's from Tim Moore, who's a Republican who was the Speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives. He said that back in March, 
when he launched an appeal of his state Supreme Court's order redrawing the state's electoral map against the wishes of the state's GOP majority legislature, which is supposed anti-constitutional. He said, we're hopeful the Supreme Court will reaffirm this basic principle and will throw out the illegal map imposed on the people of North Carolina by its Supreme Court, state Supreme Court. It's time to settle the elections clause question once and for all. The case is Moore versus Harper, a petition filed March 17th. It was preceded by an emergency application seeking a stay back on Valentine's Day, ruling by the Supreme Court of North Carolina. In it, it required the state to modify its existing congressional electoral districts for the upcoming primary and general elections. Respondent Rebecca Harper is one member of a group of 25 individual North Carolina voters. Just a few days later, the Supreme Court turned away the stay application. In an opinion concurring in the denial of that stay, Brett Kavanaugh stated, the high court has repeatedly ruled that federal courts should not alter state election laws in the period close to an election. That petition was scheduled to be considered by the justices June 16th, last week. The court is next scheduled to announce decisions on pretending petitions tomorrow. For a petition to be granted, at least four of the nine justices must agree. Republicans say the Constitution directly empowers state legislatures to make rules for the conduct of all elections, and we know that. Even though that's the case, though, why is everybody like Nancy Pelosi and the January 6th committee, everybody out there like that, they want the federal government to take over all of this. Well, they want the federal government to take over everything. They want the federal government to be responsible for everything. Pretty much just do away with state legislatures. And oh, by the way, if you want to do away with state governors, that's okay. And just let Congress, those 535 hardcore American-loving people that are supposed to represent us, and not any outsiders, not influence, let themselves be influenced by any outside sources. They want those people to be in charge of everything. In fact, if Democrats have their way, we won't have an electoral college. We'll have state and local and federal elections, but if they're doing all the counting and operating the way these elections are run, there's no need to vote. I mean, what people, the voters say, it wouldn't even matter. That's why that entire structure looks as it does today. And that's why, instead of breaking it up, changing it, throwing stuff away, we need to let we need to let that stand and we need to reinforce the validity of things like the Electoral College for the reasons that it was established. You know why you know why it came about? Totally why it came about. It was because our forefathers saw a way and what was going to happen when these big coastal cities and states like New York and California in Washington, where populations would center. If we had just single vote counting across America, at the time they did that, there was very little population in between. But they knew that was going to change, and it did dramatically. We need to give everybody an equal voice in federal elections. 
How do you do that? The Electoral College. In federal elections for president and vice president, we don't actually, our vote doesn't count. One vote count for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or any other federal official that runs. We're actually voting for the representative, the Electoral College member for our state that is going to stand for us when the Electoral College meets after each general election to determine the outcome. And the numbers of electorals stays constant. And it's moved around by the population changes. That's critical. That's important. That's what our forefathers did to make sure that places like California, New York, New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, don't have total control of the election. If they did, the election results in those cities would be the only ones that mattered. That's not representative republic democracy. It's not. You know what we haven't even discussed today, we haven't even referenced, is any of the Joe Biden problems. I'm sure you probably saw, if you didn't, you probably heard about he had a bicycle wreck in Delaware over the weekend. Of course, he he jumped up and he showed everybody that he was okay. People are watching from around the globe and watching what our president does, how he acts, that's the way it should be. It's always been that way. We do the same thing about foreign world leaders and countries that are important to us. Down under, Sky News, they're watching and they're listening to Joe Biden. And early this morning, they had some interesting new notes to talk about regarding our president. Now let's get down to business. Joe Biden. How much longer can he go on like this? I mean, just have a look at his attempt to pander to the LGBTQXYZ plus minus multiplication sign constituent Americans this week. We're also proud to have signed an executive order on my first day in office to combat discrimination against LGBTQLI, excuse me, plus Americans. Was it just me, or did you get the sense the president thought he was taking an eye test there? (laughs) Anyway, it's getting so bad that even the Democrats, in the face of cratering poll numbers and a devastated American economy, are wondering what they can do about this guy. This week, consumer confidence in the U.S. crashed to a record low, driven by high inflation and shortages, while the latest civics poll numbers showed Biden with a record low approval rate approval rate of just 33%, with his numbers underwater in 48 of the 50 states. So no wonder there are cracks beginning to appear in the Democrat edifice as the nation hurtles to the November midterms and with potential distractions ranging from monkeypox to Ukraine, (laughs) not enough to change the narrative. Now, I want to point you to a curious story that appeared in the Atlantic Monthly in the midst of all of this. The Atlantic is a magazine that every good-thinking lefty intellectual used to leave on his coffee table so that visitors to the House knew they were up-to-date on the current lefty talking points. Of course, these days, Atlantic readers are still too scared of COVID to let anyone into the House, and they get their content online. But the magazine's influence remains. The piece was entitled, Why Biden Shouldn't Run for Re-Election in 2024, and it was written by consummate Washington operator Mark Leibovich. 
And the piece purported to make the case that Biden should go after one term, even if he is <laughs> perfectly fit and capable to run the country into the ground for now, <laughs> wrote the author. But here's another recurring theme I keep hearing, notably from people predisposed to liking the president. He just seems old, one senior administration official told me at a social function weeks ago. Leibovich's report comes on the heels of another story in the New York Times, which, as we've discussed before, is a bit like the old Soviet Pravda. You know, normally you have to figure out what's really going on by seeing what's not being talked about. But this New York Times report actually came out and said Democrats were really hoping that Joe Biden would hang it up in 2024. Now, none of this, my friends, is happening by accident. No, no, no. Democrat mandarins clearly know that Biden is leading them and their party to disaster. And their only hope is to get the word out that Biden won't be around for long. And there are even whispers I'm hearing of an exit strategy for before 2024, which might start to become shouts if someone figures out how to solve the Kamala Harris problem. <laughs> you only have to watch Joe Biden's bizarre, ranting, unhinged performance speaking to union members this week to understand why Democrats are worried. I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending. We're changing people's lives. It's going to take time, but let the world coordinate the largest release, what I've been able to do, the largest release of oil from the global fund in history, a million barrels a day. Look, I believe in bipartisanship. But I have no illusions about this Republican Party, the MAGA Party. I've been able to bring some Republicans along on parts of my plan. But the fact is, Republicans in Congress are still in the grip of the ultra-MAGA agenda. Global fund? Ultra-MAGA agenda? Okay, Mr. President, uh, there's some ice cream over here for you. But if you thought that was bizarre, get a load of new White House flat Karine Jean-Pierre who makes her predecessor old circle back Jen Psaki look like the greatest communicator since Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> we have to remember where this country was uh, more than a year ago when he walked into office. The economy uh, was not in a great place. Uh, schools were closed. Businesses were closed. We didn't have a comprehensive uh, COVID, uh, uh, COVID strategy. And what he ended up doing was meet that moment, pass the American Rescue Plan. Only Democrats uh, pa uh, uh, passed that plan. He signed it. It was his plan. I think that's what our friend Paul Murray calls the Jedi mind trick. Just forget <laughs> what the economy was like when Donald Trump was in power and imagine that this is just fantastic. I mean, never mind that in the terrible economy Jean-Pierre claimed Biden inherited from Trump, the stock market was higher, inflation was just 1.4%. Basic necessities like baby formula were still on the shelves, and it cost less than half as much as it does now to fill your tank. But according to the official White House narrative, it seems Americans just aren't grateful enough for the genius of Joe Biden, who despite their lion eyes, brought the economy roaring back. Of course, well, that's the official line. What's happening in the vape-filled rooms of the Democratic Party where the decisions are made? Something else may be happening. Watch this space no matter what letter of the alphabet you identify with. That uh, is a pretty succinct analysis by our buddies, Sky News from Australia down under. They are watching and they see it in a more objective way than most of us do. 
and he he referenced in that uh, in that soundbite you heard the civics rolling job approval average for President Biden only at thirty two percent approval, fifty seven percent disapproval. Eleven percent of those participants did not approve or disapprove. Despite that, his approval rating is underwater in all but two states, including the typically dark blue California and even his home state of Delaware. The only two states in which he is above water are Hawaii and Vermont. He has a net approval of negative 25. So let me ask you this. Where are all of our leaders? Where are they? What are they looking at? What are they hearing? What is driving their boat and driving their uh, legislative process? Do you think they're seeing all of this or do you think they're oblivious? How could anybody see and hear and know this and actually come out and still push for going down the same road that we're on right now? I just don't get it. I mean, even some of the mainstream media outlets are catching up to this and are doing something that uh, is kind of shocking to many of us. They're talking about facts. Over the weekend, two lawyers told CNN Newsday hosts Brianna Keeler and John Berman that securing charges against Donald Trump is going to be difficult in the January 6th debacle. Daniel Goldman, who's a former House impeachment counsel, Jeffrey Tubin, a CNN legal analyst, uh, analyst, they both explain that prosecutors would need to gather facts about Trump's actions and his comments in order to determine what charges to file. I just think as a matter of prosecutorial discretion, you can't charge the President of the United States with trying to overturn an election where he is acting in public, where he has a constitutional authority to tell Mike Pence what to do, Tubin said. We can have these interesting discussions about what's good, what's a good case to bring, but mostly what we need are facts. Like, what happened? We still don't know what happened. And mostly what we don't know is what was Donald Trump's state of mind. Was he really encouraging violence? You know, what were his conversations? There was an allusion early in the hearing to Trump saying, you know, hang Mike Pence. That's a good idea. He deserves it. But we only heard that secondhand. This is CNN that is weighing in on this, folks. Everybody seems to be awakening except, except our leaders in our government, in the executive branch, and the legislative branch. If you've ever questioned the amount of power that people in Washington, D.C. have, this should dispel any of your concerns about not understanding if they have that power. They do, and they're wielding it. That's what they're all about, folks. That's totally what they're about. Now, there's other bad news coming out of this January 6th thing. Republican voters in Nevada, one of those swing states. Voters in Nevada who have been watching this January 6th select committee hearings have labeled them in mass now. Voters in Nevada have labeled these hearings reprehensible and disgusting while they're becoming more supportive of former President Donald Trump. Now, this is a report not coming from Fox News or Newsmax or One America News. It came from NBC News. 
It might as well be impeachment number three for Donald Trump. That's Judy Cameron, a retiree in Reno and Republican primary voter, told NBC this is their big push to get Donald Trump off any ballot. So the voters in Nevada instead directed their anger towards the committee, which reportedly has shifted its focus to persuading the Justice Department to file charges and to make changes to the Electoral Count Act, which is the act that created the Electoral College. They want to obliterate that. It's all political. It's all designed to try to prevent Donald Trump from running for president again. House Speaker Pelosi, she refused to allow Republican representatives Jim Jordan of Ohio, Jim Banks of Indiana, to even have a seat on that select committee. That prompted a Republican boycott. Pelosi later appointed Republicans, if you call them Republicans, Liz Cheney of Wyoming, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, both outspoken critics of Trump to the panel. They're not outspoken critics. They despise Donald Trump. The select committee held three hearings since June the 9th. After the second hearing, multiple liberal media outlets hyped the potential of fraud charges against Trump. Does any of this ring a bell to you? All of it rings a bell to me. This is nothing more than a group of hardcore, not just Democrats, but hardcore Washington, D.C. people, both parties. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. If you didn't like Donald Trump, if you didn't think he did what you wanted him to do, if you didn't like his performance, if you didn't like the way he presented himself or the way he talked, if you thought he was crude and you didn't identify with it, look, it's okay for each of us to have an opinion about him, about anything or everything he ever said or did. But at the end of the day, here's what needs to be understood. You have one opinion that you have a legal right to execute on. I have one opinion to do the same. Every American has one such opinion that comes with a right. If somebody's in a position to either be elected or to not be voted for, we make that choice constitutionally. That's an inalienable right given to us by the U.S. Constitution. Each one of these sycophants sitting on that committee have only that same exact right to make one decision for themselves. They are not empowered to make any decision for the whole of America. Yet this is a sham and it's an actual attempt to take those rights away from us. They're talking about voter suppression in Georgia, other states, You remember, oh my gosh, Stacey Abrams, she went nuts. She raised for her not-for-profit millions of dollars from people like George Soros on the basis of we've got to get out and we got to make sure that Georgians are able to vote. Republicans are trying to restrict their vote. Voter ID, it's illegal. It's going to restrict the vote. And then the primaries come up. More Georgians voted in the primaries than ever have. But I thought voters were being suppressed. 
None of this push by any of these people has anything to do with facts. It doesn't. And they don't care that they are hearing and seeing Americans who are watching what they do and say and are going out and countering that with facts. They don't care about that. They feel like they have the biggest voice in the room. That would be of the United States government. And with that, they can take, they can seize and own total control of all the narrative. And with that comes all the power to do anything and everything that they want to do personally. Forget about that rule of law thing. Forget about the construction of life in the U.S. Forget about all those things. Forget about 260 years of setting things up and watching them work, watching many of the things not work and being changed, but not single-handedly changed by the federal government, but by the people's representatives working on and working for the people that they represent. Well, speaking of stupidity and craziness, I never thought I would hear what I'm about to tell you about happen. It's coming out of Austin, Texas. It's coming out of a far-left city council from a red state city, the capital of the reddest state we have. Maybe Florida is, but I think Texas really is. But that city council up there last week, they passed something that will blow your mind. That's straight ahead. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep, there's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. If you know anything about Texas, you know Austin is really a, it's a really nice place. It houses the University of Texas. Of course, it's the capital city of the state, so their government is there. But uh, of late, I guess maybe it's an education thing. The big 
centers of education nationally, many of those have turned um, left. Texas, Austin, Texas is one of those, but you're not going to believe this. But the Austin City Council on Friday voted to approve a resolution that would direct the city manager to adopt a minimum wage of $22 per hour for each city employee, $22. Several city workers testified, said that a higher wage is necessary. Why? Because of inflation. The resolution asked the city manager to come up with a plan and a timeline to increase the minimum wage to 22 bucks for city workers. That's an increase from the current $15 an hour. In other words, a 50% raise. That's not a bad deal. I don't care where you live. Providing a living wage has been a continued priority for our stakeholders and our city staff. The recovery from the pandemic and unprecedented rising cost of living have emphasized the need to accelerate the timeline to increase the living wage. I don't know, folks. Minimum wage, it was never devised to be sufficient or even a need to support an entire family. It's only to make sure that young men and women, and I use the biological term, but they have a chance to learn a trade, get an opportunity to begin a career. Thank you for being here today. We're back in the saddle at TNN Live. You have a great Monday. We'll see you tomorrow. Look at us, baby, up all night, tearing our love apart. Aren't we the same two people who live through years in the dark? Oh, every time I try to walk away. Makes me turn around and stay And I can't tell you why When we get crazy Just stay right Boy, I get low